the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's not because people just hate us for being the, quote, Jesus freak. They hate Jesus inside of us. Welcome to Core Truth Radio, a radio ministry of Core Church Los Angeles with pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn. Pastor Steve will be teaching us God's truth right from the Bible with lessons that we may not want to hear, but we need to hear. Let's jump right in today's study. Well, we're going to be in John chapter 10, and I entitled this message, using bait. Have you ever manipulated a conversation to get what you wanted? It's asking a question for the express purpose of seeking out what we desire to know. It's called baiting someone. Us guys have abused this many times, like when we lean over to our wives and we say, oh, little pumpkin darling, I would love to take care of your honeydew list that you have for me, but I just don't have the right tools as we get the okay to buy some more tools. Yes. Or how about when your husband says, honey, sweetheart, why don't we make an investment for our children? We could buy a 65 inch flat screen TV. They could watch educational videos. Plus we could have more family time with the children and watch Disney movies together. And the fact that we could watch all of our sports on a big screen has nothing to do with it, right? Yeah, right. Well, getting back to our study here today, as we continue our study through the book of John, we will see how the religious leaders tried to bait Jesus. They were attempting to entrap him with his own words. So today, as we continue in our study through the Gospel of John, let's look at our first point, speaking the truth. As we read in John chapter 10, we'll pick up where we left off from last time. We'll pick up in verse 22. It says, at that time, the feast of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. And the Jews therefore gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Well, Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, these bear witness of me. But you do not believe, because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they shall never perish, and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. Verse 30, I and the Father are one. Wow. We'll stop there for a moment. Now, it was the Feast of Dedication, it said, This was a feast to celebrate the Jews liberating their temple from Syria in 164 BC. 
because Assyrian leader Antichus had conquered Jerusalem and desecrated their temple six years earlier in 170 BC. And now the Jews have gathered around Jesus once again. This was not uncommon. Everywhere Jesus went, people would gather around him. People wanted to see Jesus for themselves. Some came to glean from his great wisdom, while others needed a physical touch for their own lives. Yet the religious Jews, because of their jealousy, they only wanted Jesus to stumble and fall. They wanted him gone. They wanted him out of their lives forever. Well, why? Because they had a stranglehold on the people of God. Religion had become nothing more than a complex system of rules and regulations that only they knew the combination to. They would oppress. The religious Jews would manipulate the people. Everything was just the way they wanted it. Their system was not only running well, but it was profitable for them to live in luxury. Until Jesus came, Jesus came and he turned their world upside down because he came speaking the truth. It was a message of clarity concerning God's word. It was a message of forgiveness. It was a message of hope for their future. And these religious leaders foresaw that their stranglehold on the people was starting to slip away. Because the people were clinging to Jesus. It's like, well, we can, you can watch this guy. You can listen to him. You can get the message. You can track along with him. We understand what he's saying. It's almost like he's speaking to me. It's almost like his eyes are penetrating through my life. See, they were in the ministry, these religious leaders, for all the wrong reasons. Just like many are in the ministry today for all the wrong reasons. Know this, the only reason someone should pursue ministry is to proclaim God's eternal message of truth. It's not about my opinion. It's not about trying to be cool. It's about saying, this is what God says and I'm going to speak it to you uncompromisingly. Yes, that's what we are called to do. Yet these religious leaders only wanted to position themselves for power and prestige. As they continued to bait Jesus, they were trying to entrap him so that they could persecute and get rid of him. And the same will happen to us. When we decide to step out in faith to be used by God, that's when we can be assured of much opposition and resistance as Christians. And the resistance will come from many different fronts, from people to circumstances. Understand, if we're making as Christians an impact on our culture, the devil will rise up against us. Yes, for those of us who desire God's will in our life, there will be times of great valleys. There'll be times of desert experiences in our life. There'll be times when everything goes wrong for us because we're simply stepping out trying to do God's will. So with that and knowing that, many Christians will respond with, then why in the world would any desire to do God's will if it includes having to walk down 
down the path of pain. Well, that's why many don't. That's why many Christians are melancholy. That's why many Christians are anemic in their faith. They they simply do nothing. Only those who can clearly see past this temporal life into the next life can we see through the eyes of faith into our future glory, which God has made for us to last for all eternity. Remember, everything that we are, along with everything we've obtained in this world, will stay in this world. We take nothing with us. The only thing we have in heaven waiting for us is the things that we did for the Lord by faith. Yet those who believe by faith with an eye on the eternal can and should walk on the same road of God's perfect will, even as Jesus walked himself. But again, let's not forget, remember, his road on this earth, where did it take Jesus? It took him right to the cross. But he rose again from the dead, as you know, and then he returned to heaven for all the glory. So it will be for those of us who choose to follow. We will also inherit and share his glory in the life to come. Could you imagine standing before the Lord? Could you imagine when all of a sudden this life ends and we stand before the Lord and then Jesus, his eyes look into our eyes and he says, he calls us by name and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You lived for me while you were down on this earth. You were a light to shine. Come into the joy of the Lord. Now for some, they're going to be like, well, that's kind of a stretch, Lord. I didn't really do anything. See, we're saved by grace, so we'll be able to go into heaven. But wouldn't it be awesome if just some of it was true? Wouldn't it be awesome if when he looked at you and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that there would just be a little bit of it true, that maybe you did live for Christ, that you were a light that shined in this dark world, that you did share Christ with other people, that you were taking advantage of opportunities that were around you. You know, it's like you just take advantage of being a light wherever you are. It's what God wants us to do. But understand, they'll become persecution for us for righteousness sake. Remember, when people persecute us or when things don't go well for us on this side of heaven, it's not because, you know, people just hate us for being the, quote, Jesus freak. They hate Jesus inside of us. You have to make that that separation. Jesus said in John 7, 7, he says that it's not us that they hate. They hate Jesus in us because he testifies of the world's evil. He testifies of the world's evil. See, so when we stand up and say, well, you know, the Bible says that if you live in this particular lifestyle, you can't go to heaven. And they say, well, you're just a religious bigot. Hey, don't judge me, bro. You know, and all of this stuff. Okay, when that comes out, it's not against us. It's against Jesus who said it. See, so ultimately, they say, hey, I go to church. I don't hear that there. You're just like a bigot. It's like, uh, no, your church doesn't teach the truth. Because real love shares with someone what truth is. It's not always what you want to hear, but it's always what you need to hear. Always. That's why the religious leaders of this day, they want Jesus gone. 
So they were baiting him to claim his deity once again. Why? So they could kill him. This is what they said in verse 24. They said, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Well, what are they talking about? Jesus already told them multiple times. Remember, Jesus wasn't keeping anybody in suspense. He had already told them several times exactly who he was. Plus, John the Baptist had already laid a foundation for this, who the religious leaders, they despised him also. But if you remember, if you go all the way back to John chapter one, it was John the Baptist that said, behold, Stop, look, and see. It's like the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He spoke that to all people that were around. Religious leaders were there. And when he used that terminology, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. They knew exactly what he was saying because they knew the scripture. No one seemed to captivate the scripture of prophetically speaking more than Isaiah the prophet. And that was really quoting from Isaiah chapter 53, which all the religious leaders knew. In fact, most people knew that. Why? Because back then they didn't have, you know, radios. They didn't have, you know, all these radio stations and TV programs and video games and computers and smartphones. It's like they didn't have all that stuff to distract us. People pretty much just had the word of God. And so they knew what it said. Let me read to you what it says in the Old Testament about the Lamb of God. It says in Isaiah 53, 7, it says, He was oppressed, talking about the Lamb. He was afflicted like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth, but the Lord was pleased to crush the Lamb, putting him to grief. By his knowledge of the righteous one, my servant will justify many as he will bear their iniquities. Jesus didn't hide his identity from these religious leaders. Back in John chapter 5, if you remember, verse 18, Jesus called God his father, making himself equal with God. And the Jews wanted to kill him for that. Then Jesus claimed to be the only one that could satisfy our deepest needs inside. He said in John 6, 34, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst again. He's not talking about food and a bottle of water. He's talking about the things that satisfy the human soul inside, that need inside that always needs to be scratched. Oh, I gotta have something more, something more than what I have because I'm not satisfied inside. He says, I can satisfy you. And in John chapter seven, the religious leaders sent the temple guards to him to arrest him. Why? Because they already thought they had everything they needed. In John chapter seven, he's already blasphemed. We've already caught him. So they sent the temple guards to go get him so they could start the process of killing him back in chapter seven. But yet the guards came back empty handed and they said, never ever has anyone spoke the way that this man has spoken. No one has ever spoke like this. Like we went to go arrest him and we got captivated. We got caught up in his message. It's like we came back. No one's ever done this before. 
Those men were dumbfounded by Jesus. They were perplexed for the gods. The guards not only listened, but they watched what Jesus did. They watched what he did, meaning they saw firsthand with their own eyes, miracles, the healing of the sick, the lame getting up and walking, the blind seeing. How could anyone deny that this Jesus was so much more than some self-appointed prophet? That's why even Nicodemus, when he came to see Jesus at night in John chapter 3, this, of course, was the first showing of Nick at night. It was right here. Anyway, just stating the fact there. But anyway, Nicodemus came to Jesus. Now, it's important because who was Nicodemus? Nicodemus was just not some average Joe. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. That was the leading uh, group of religious men of the day. But he was more than just a Pharisee. He was also part of the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was like the government that ran Israel. They ran Jerusalem. And so he was part of that. Now, that was only 71 people. And then another aspect of Nicodemus, Jesus said to him in John chapter 3, are you not the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? So this is a heavy hitter here. Nicodemus was a heavy hitter. So he came to Jesus at night, probably because of peer pressure. He didn't want to be seen by his other peers talking with Jesus. So he came in the darkness of night. And he said to Jesus, you know, I've been watching you. No one can do the things that you do unless they were sent by God. So he recognized, okay, this is not just some, you know, radical here that's standing up and making some waves here. No, 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 no. I've watched you. No one can do what you do. He was probably that guy that was like standing close enough to where he could hear Jesus, but far enough away where he wouldn't be one of them. But he was listening and he was watching. And Jesus doesn't say hello to him, doesn't say boo to him. He says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, Nicodemus said, well, I'm an old man. What do you mean born again? Do I, do I go back in my mother's womb and come back out again? No, Nick, that's sick. Okay, no. But <laughs> Jesus didn't say that, I just did. But anyway, but uh, he says, no. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, meaning we all have to come out of our mother's womb, right? Whether it's a C-section or the natural way you're coming out. You have to be born in the flesh naturally, but your spirit has to be born. It has to be reborn because we are spirit, soul, and body. What does that mean? Well, the body's pretty obvious, right? We're body. But what's the spirit and the soul? Well, we have an eternal spirit that lives inside of us. That eternal spirit's gonna live after this body dies, and we have a soul. That's who you are. Like when I talk to you, I'm not talking to your body. No, it's like, well, I'm talking to you who are in this body. This body's like a tent. So your spirit and your soul are like entwined together. The spirit's going to live forever. Your soul is who you are. You're going to live in that spirit forever. You have to be born again. Your spirit has to be born from above. That can only happen through Jesus. Yes, Nicodemus came at night. He acknowledged that Jesus was from God, as he says, for no one can do the things that you do. Plus, Jesus did what only God could do. He forgave the sins of the people. Like the woman that was caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8. He forgave her sin. You remember 
what happened? The people caught her, the religious leaders trying to entrap Jesus. They caught the woman in the act of adultery. Somehow, in catching her in the very act, they forgot to catch the guy. He slipped out the back. But if you read the text as we studied it, you realize that they set this woman up. So the the guy was probably part of them, so he got to go out the back door. So then they take the woman, possibly naked, throw her on the ground in front of Jesus, and they say, this woman, she was caught in the act of adultery. The law says that she should be stoned to death, which it did. You got caught in the act of adultery, you got stoned to death. So Jesus, see, they were trying to entrap him. They were trying to get him because if he said, yes, go ahead and stone her to death, just just wicked on this woman right now, then he would no longer be the gracious and merciful Jesus that he was. But if he says, no, don't stone her, now he's going against the very word of God itself and it would discredit him as a prophet. So they thought, we got Jesus in the catch-22. What they weren't expecting was what Jesus said next. And he said, well, he who's without sin, since you're right, she should be stoned to death. She should be judged right now and stoned to death. So I'll tell you what, fellas, which one of you is without sin? You go ahead and cast the first stone at her. And they're all like, well. And from the oldest to the youngest, they dropped the stones and they walked away in shame. So Jesus was left with this woman. So he said to her, woman, where's your accusers? She says, well, they all took off. He said, well, I don't accuse you either. Now see, many today in progressive churches today will say, see, Jesus didn't judge them so you can go out and live and you can have sexual relations and you can do this and you can do that. You can live whatever lifestyle you want and Jesus doesn't condemn you either. The only problem is they don't read the rest of the verse. Because the rest of the verse says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. See, it's like, I don't condemn you because we're all sinners, right? Who's, who's not a sinner in this room? See, it's like, I don't condemn you, but go and sin no more. I want you to turn from this sin. I want you to change your life. I have something so much more for you. Yes, Jesus forgave sin also. Yes, this is the day that Jesus did all of these things. That's why they couldn't stand him. And in the same chapter, in chapter 8, as the leaders claimed to be the sons of Abraham, the father of the faith in the Old Testament, Jesus told those religious leaders, you know, Abraham longed to see my day. And he saw it. And they're like, what do you mean? They saw you. You know, and in disbelief, they said, how can that be? Abraham lived thousands of years ago. How could he have seen you? And Jesus responded to them in John 8, 58. He says, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen up here. Before Abraham was ever born, before he came out of his mother's womb, I am. I am. Whoa, what? Yes, Jesus was consistent. He was distinct He was very direct when he made his identity known. He was the great I am, the creator, alive in the flesh. And they clearly understood what Jesus said. As you remember, when God had called Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt, Moses asked God, who do I say sent me? And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God spoke to Moses, I am that I am. 
you tell them that I am has sent you. So when Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. They knew exactly what he was talking about. That's why in chapter 8, verse 59, in the very next verse, that's why they all reached down and picked up stones to stone him. But it wasn't his time yet, and he just kind of slipped out. And see, if Jesus wasn't God, they had every right to stone him. Leviticus 24, 16 says, the one who blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregations shall certainly stone him. Yet Jesus, he was God. He was God in the flesh. He was the promised Messiah. He was the Savior of the world. God said in Isaiah 43, I am the only Savior. There is no other Savior but me. Thanks for joining us for Core Truth Radio. You've been listening to pastor and Bible teacher Steve Wilburn of Core Church Los Angeles. If you'd like to hear more messages by Pastor Steve, download the Core Church Los Angeles free app available on iOS and Android. Core Truth is sponsored by and a listener-supported outreach of Core Church LA. If you have been blessed by this program, consider supporting our radio ministry by texting Core Church LA, that's Core Church LA, one word, to 77977. You can also give via our app or online at corechurchla.org, as well as writing to our P.O. Box 34789, Los Angeles, California, 90034. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.